Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Today is Friday, September 25th, 2020, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered. The family of Breonna Taylor is calling for the release of the grand jury transcripts. They want to know who advocated for Breonna. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg is the first woman, first Jew, to lie in state at the U.S. Capitol. We'll show you some of the ceremony today, but also explain to you the difference between lying in honor and lying in state, because, of course, Rosa Parks, she was also lying in honor. Donald Trump released his 
platinum plan for Black America today. Who the hell came up with that name? I have a deconstruction of that plan. You don't want to miss it. We'll also give you the facts about whether or not Donald Trump actually saved HBCUs with funding, making funding permanent. We'll explain with the HBCU president who has the truth. Plus, we'll be joined by a military vet who supports Joe Biden for president. Uh, they've been quite critical of Donald Trump for calling military folks losers. We'll have that. Plus, a conversation about Trump supporter and boxer Colvin Covington's attacking Black Lives Matter as a terrorist organization. But the company that owns the UFC, why did they send a tweet out in May saying Black Lives Matter? Hmm, I'm gonna unpack that one as well. It is time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. Today, Breonna Taylor's family and attorneys held a news conference at Louisville's Jefferson Square Park in response to the grand jury's decision in, the death, in her death. Taylor's mom wrote a letter to express her hurt by the decision. Her sister read what she wrote. And most of you know this has been emotionally, mentally, and physically draining for my sister. So I'm going to do the honor and read her thoughts um, after... Daniel Cameron's um, decision. And I quote, I never had faith in Daniel Cameron to begin with. Amen. I knew he was too inexperienced to deal with a job of this caliber. Mm. I knew he had already chosen to be on the wrong side of the law. Mm. The moment he wanted to, the grand jury to make the decision, what I had hoped is that he knew he had the power to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. That he had the power to start the healing of this city. That he had the power to help men over 400 years of oppression. Hmm. What he helped me realize is that it will always be us against them. Yeah. That we are never safe when it comes to them. Mm. Maddenly, in an email, called us animals and thugs. It's clear that that is the way that they will always see us. I, will reassure, I was reassured Wednesday of why I have no faith in the legal system, in the police, in the law that are not made to protect us black and brown people. But when I speak on it, I'm considered an angry black woman. Mm. But know this, I am an angry black woman. There seems to be two justice systems in America, one for black America and one for white America. And this has been emphasized by this grand jury proceeding into the killing of Breonna Taylor. You know, Sam Aguiar, it's kind of ironic 
when you think about the message that is being sent from this grand jury ruling. Mm. It's like they charged the police for missing shooting bullets into black bodies, but not charging the police for shooting bullets into black bodies. Where that happen at? Yeah. In Kentucky, in Louisville. Yeah. In Louisville. In the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And we question what evidence did Kentucky Attorney General send to the grand jury? That's right. Did he tell them about the probable cause affidavit that had a lie on that affidavit, which was the basis yeah. for which the judge signed this mm. no-knock warrant in mm. the first place mm. to allow them to be at Brianna's apartment and bust open her door. That's right. Because if he didn't send that, my son, well, what did he argue on Brianna's right. behalf? What did he argue? Tamika Mallory, co-founder of Until Freedom, they have been protesting there. Uh, their team actually has moved to Louisville. She did not hold back in blasting the Attorney General of Kentucky. You mentioned at the press conference, which I thought was quite interesting, that he's a black man. And as I laid and cried and hurt for Tamika Palmer, and for Breonna Taylor, and for Kenny Walker, and for Janiyah, who we need to love up on. As I laid there, and I thought about him saying he's a black man, I thought about the ships that went into Fort Monroe and Jamestown with our people on them over 400 years ago, and how there were also black men on those ships that were responsible for bringing our people over here. Daniel Cameron is no different than the sellout Negroes that sold our people into slavery. She said it. And helped white men to capture our people, to abuse them and to traffic them while our women were raped, while our men were raped by savages. That is who you are, Daniel Cameron. You are a coward. You are a sellout, and you were used by the system to harm your own mama, your own black mama. We have no respect for you, no respect for your black skin, because all of our skin folk ain't our kin folk, and you do not belong to black people at all. Um, folks, um, attorney, again, Ben Crump and so many others uh, spoke. Uh, they made it perfectly clear they want to see the transcripts released. Cameron's office has not responded to the request to release the transcripts. However, on Wednesday, he said he was not releasing the full grand jury report because of both the ongoing criminal case and an FBI investigation into the case. Still, lots of questions are being raised, especially about the ballistic report. Now, remember... Remember, he said, Daniel Cameron, that uh, Kenneth Walker fired a shot that hit one of the officers. That's what gave them cause to return fire. I want to bring in Amisha Cross, political analyst and Democratic strategist, and Rob Richardson, host of Disruption Now podcast. Um, he here's the thing that I find to be interesting 
when when we, when we break this thing down, um, Rob, um, and I'm going to go to the uh, Twitter feed of a gentleman uh, named um, Rob Ferdman, uh, and I'm going to pull this up because uh, this is what he he laid out, and he is uh, a, a, a correspondent with Vice News. Breaking Breonna Taylor news, the initial ballistics report that was included in the investigative file given to the attorney general's office by LMPD to prove Taylor's boyfriend fired the bullet that hit LMPD officer Sergeant Mattingly. Hmm. Then he said a portion of the report, which references the bullet believed to have hit Mattingly, concludes, quote, due to limited markings of comparative value, the item was neither identified nor eliminated as having been fired from number 45, which corresponds to the magazine found in Walker's gun. Walker's criminal defense attorney, Rob Eggert, provided a screenshot of the report to Vice News, which confirmed its validity. Eggert said he shared it because of the attorney general's remarks on Wednesday. This is the screenshot right here. So the attorney general stands up before the cameras and says that, Without a doubt, it happened. This is what Furman writes. The existence of the possibility that Walker did not fire the bullet that struck Mattingly in the leg, along with crime scene photos recently obtained by Vice News, raised questions about how the investigation was conducted. Sergeant Mattingly says Walker was about 20 feet away when he fired a shot that hit him in the leg, but photos of Mattingly's wound show potential signs of being shot from much closer, according to Patrick McLaughlin, who teaches forensic science at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. McLaughlin served as a detective in the NYPD for 20 years, most of which he spent in the evidence collection team. He said the easiest way to tell for sure is through a gunshot residue test, but no such test appears to have been conducted on Mattingly's wound or clothes. A preliminary report on Mattingly, Mattingly's wound, which was part of discovery in Walker's criminal case, says no visible suit or residue on Mattingly's pants and indicates he was shot from distant range. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, um, I think it's been pretty well exhausted what, uh, what Cameron has done. He's done what most prosecutors do. They act as the defense attorneys for the officers that are being charged, and he continued that. Um, but again, I, if I can take a moment, you know, because I think I'm the only lawyer here, I want to just talk about the bigger picture here, because I think we all agree on Cameron, and I think Tamika Mallory said it, and we don't actually kind of drop the mic on that point. I think the greater point is to talk about systemically why we're here and the bigger issues, because even if we had a Marilyn Mosby there, it would be a gigantic task for her to win this case. And here's why. Because when you, when you think about how the laws are in this country and, and how our system operates, there are essentially three ways, as people know. One, we make the laws, the legislators. Two, the enforcers of the law, the prosecutors, the presidents, the mayors, all those people who are enforcing the law that was made. But the fact that we forget the most, and you had RBG's funeral, which is why I want to bring this up right now, being laid to rest. The third, the, the people who interpret the law probably have more power than the first two. Now, why do I say that? Now, if you look, if you go back to just very quickly, Reconstruction, when we got a lot of our rights, some of the greatest expansion in the history for African-Americans happened in that period, when the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment passed, where we had to get two-thirds of the House, two-thirds of the Senate, and absolutely almost the entire country, three-fourths of the states, to approve us getting rid of the uh, getting rid of slavery, giving us the right to vote, and making us citizens, 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments. Even with that on paper, clearly stated, 
Plessy v. Ferguson, we know that they interpreted it in such a way that we can be separate but equal, and then that brought on Jim Crow and all the oppression and all the terror that that brought on. Fast forward to Breonna Taylor and why this is relevant. Now, the Supreme Court for years, uh, going back to a case out of Ohio called Terry v. Terry v. Ohio, when they first started eviscerating the Fourth Amendment, which is supposed to protect us from unreasonable search and seizures, like Breonna Taylor went through that where she lost her life. But starting then, police were allowed to use reasonable suspicion. They happened to see three black guys walking in Cleveland, and they, and they looked suspicious to them. They were actually right this time, but they used that to essentially justify uh, stop and frisk racial, you know, racial profiling and everything else. And then law after law gave more prosecution, more power, so they got to this point where you can do this. So the system has has been in, in place where they could do this in a way, and this is part of what they did every day. The Breonna Taylor is the first time that the light has been shining on them in a long time. But this happens, all, uh, this has been happening for the last 30 years in this country. And at least we're now starting to shine a light on this and it's immoral, but it's immoral, it's inhumane, it shouldn't have happened. But if we're honest, it's been legal for a long time, but, but we need to make sure that, that it's not legal anymore. We need the Fourth Amendment to actually apply to black people in this country. But the thing, Amisha, that I think what this raises, and why, that's why you see uh, Ben Crump saying release the transcripts, to understand what was presented to the grand jury. Cameron is already, he would not acknowledge if he, rep if he recommended any charges. And so... Other legal experts have said that because the grand jury did not return a no bill against the other two officers, that it's possible they did not even include them in this grand jury proceedings. True, and this is where this is where the public needs to know. Okay, and this is the problem: grand juries are, are are secret. What did you do in the room? Did you actually go in a room and fight? for Brianna. In fact, uh, I received a statement earlier that uh, from, from someone about this, talking about the same thing, that what they did was um, they, they, they also um, re relied on one person who said they heard the cops, but that person, the first two times, said they heard nothing. It wasn't until a third interview so the public, what they're saying is, we need to know what you presented. Did the Kentucky Attorney General Cameron hold back information? Did they present incomplete investigative information? That's why the family is saying, we want to see the transparency of what you presented. The family is 100% in the right here. This is a time where we need to sunshine and be able to figure out exactly what was presented to this grand jury. Because as you stated in that in that question sequence, um, what we do know is that the Daniel, Daniel Cameron went into this knowing that he was going to play ball in a certain court and that it wasn't going to be presented um, in a way that would actually have justice for Breonna Taylor. That's not what he was trying to move towards anyway. What he was trying to move towards was an eradication of what happened in general and to create some type of semblance of the law behind it. And he wanted to do that in a way that not only eradicated the fact that uh, Breonna Taylor's life mattered, but also wouldn't hurt 
the piggy bank that helped him to coast into the AG position anyway. Because what people have to recognize is that Daniel Cameron, and we do lean on this for a good reason, Daniel Cameron's campaign was funded over 60% by people who had either served on the force or those people who were current members of police unions. So there's a huge impetus for Daniel Cameron to make sure that he is not um, bringing forth or pushing for any charges for these police officers, because he's been in bed with them for quite some time at this point. But beyond that, I think that what was done was a presenting of facts that were not necessarily what was needed in this case. What we know is that um, AGs have historically presented information when they didn't necessarily want to come down on police officers that didn't actually include the full picture. And I think that what we saw in this case, in addition to not full information of the projectile of those bullets, was that also there he never really wanted there to be questioning into the other two officers. And not too much questioning into the one who actually received the wanton abandonment charge either. But he definitely wanted to to um, not have there be charges against those two officers, specifically because he didn't want to bring in that national media attention. When you saw the conversation, when he stood and he gave his press briefing in that conference, um, he spoke very, very passionately about him wanting to keep this thing in-house, wanting there not to be influence of outside people who didn't live in Louisville, acting as though the rest of us couldn't possibly understand what those uh, police officers were under were under when they actually entered that home. And what we're seeing time and time again from conservatives right now, as well as him, was that he felt as though this was justified. And going into that, going into bringing in a, bringing in a grand jury, he wanted to present evidence that showcased what he automatically felt without there actually being a grand jury hearing beforehand. He felt that it was justified and he wanted to present information to them that would showcase that it was justified, as he said uh, during that press briefing, which I think was very interesting because he himself is making that claim before anything was actually reviewed. And I think that he was doing this on purpose because he wanted to not allow there to be a full investigation. He wanted to only present a certain light because he wanted those officers to get off. He wanted to yeah. maintain that, you know, structure of this is the badge and this is their enforcement. He wanted to draw a clear line to say that um, these officers were acting in some type of self-defense and oops, sorry, somebody died, but um, the boyfriend shouldn't have been shooting at the cops. I think that there was something there for him. And his gain from this is that it runs along the mantra of President Trump. It run runs along the mantra of Mitch McConnell, law and order. You heard him say it during the press conference. This was literally him going tit for tat um, on down the line of the Republican rhetoric that we We've heard time and time again yeah. during this during this Trump administration, but also trying to really throw shade at protesters. I thought it was very interesting also during that uh, during that briefing that he brought that up as a means of diminishing the fact that Breonna Taylor death has still not been um, has not been fully investigated. This yeah. was a murder. And coming off of those charges, none of that is actually seen at all. There was more care and concern to the plaster on the walls of adjacent apartments than there was to the actual murder of a human being. And I think that's just demonstratively terrible. And it's a stain on the AG's office and a stain on Kentucky. Well, the thing, the thing that we have to, but the thing that we have to understand, Rob, you basically made the point is that yeah. clearly, hold on one second. Clearly, folk want justice for Brenda Taylor. But what we have to look at here is this is really a situation where you have to have a real thorough examination of the entire police department, yep. of the entire district attorney's office. Because this is, see, here's the deal. You could take any one of these shootings. And if you do not have, the people do not have the trust in those who are leading the investigation, and then those who are proceeding to the grand jury, then this is going to be the outcome. 
And that's the real issue here. So Cameron might say, oh, I was a special prosecutor. Yeah, but did you stack the deck walking in to, to basically reach the conclusion based upon what you presented? That's what people are asking for. Rob, go ahead. No, and I think that's fair to ask for, and I agree with everything that you and Amisha have said. But just to add to the point about the law and the changes we need to do, we need to seek changes at the state level because you can interpret the Fourth Amendment stronger at your state level, and we need to be asking, not asking, demanding that these things happen because those are the type of changes that that can actually that can make systemic change. And I'll just say everything that Amisha talked about, the fact that police lie, prosecutors lie, and that prosecutors have the discretion to lie to actually to discriminate. Those things have been litigated all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has said, cool, go ahead and do that. And so when people talk about these and going to this issue of this election and these elections and to 2016, people like no big deal. Now we're seeing the big deal. This is a big deal because they decide how you interpret the law that that sent black people back for 80 years in this country. So we need to be we need to understand the power of judges. We need to understand power locally of changing these state constitutions and making sure that they enforce the Fourth Amendment. Those are the things we need to look at as we solve these problems. And yes, we definitely go after the AGs, hold them accountable, put pressure on them, but we also need to look at it from a holistic, systemic point of view. And that's why when people talk about systems, this is what they mean by systems. Got to go to a break. We come back on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Donald Trump unveils his plan for black America. It's called the Platinum Plan. Really? Where in the hell that name come from? I will offer deconstruction of that and also... He keeps saying how he has solved the funding issue for HBCUs. Mm, it's a lie, and we'll break it down with an HBCU president. That's next on Roller Martin Unfiltered. The community comes together to support the fight against racial injustice. I want to take a second to talk about one thing we can do to ensure our voices are heard. Not tomorrow, but now. Have your voices heard in terms of what kind of future we want by taking the 2020 census today at 2020census.gov? Now, folks, let me help you out. The census is a count of everyone living in the country. It happens once every 10 years. It is mandated by the U.S. Constitution. The thing that's important is that the census informs funding, billions of dollars, how they are spent in our communities every single year. I grew up in Clinton Park in Houston, Texas, and we wanted, to, we wanted new parks and roads and a senior citizen center. Well, the census helps inform all of that and where funding goes. It also determines how many seats your state will get in the U.S. House of Representatives. Young black men and young children of color are historically undercounted, which means a potential loss of funding of services that helps our community. Folks, we have the power to change that. We have the power to help determine where hundreds of billions in federal funding go each year for the next 10 years. Funding that can impact our community, our neighborhoods, and our families and friends. Folks, responses are 100% confidential and can't be shared with your landlord, law enforcement, or any government agency. So please, Take the 2020 census today. Shape your future. Start at 2020census.gov. I think you got to understand who's on the school board, who voted for the judge that's going to lock your ass up. How about all these people that's running around in your community that be up at, at 8.30 in the morning and you never see them because you roaming around at 3 in the afternoon? They got voted in. They go to the government office buildings that you don't know until you get in trouble. 
Hi, I'm Eric Nolan. I'm Shantae Moore. Hi, my name is Latoya Luckett, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Well, folks, Donald Trump was in Atlanta today unveiling his plan for black America. It is called the Platinum Plan. Quite interesting, he uh, presented this in front of a group of African-Americans. He designates the KKK and, and Antifa as terrorist organizations, call for making lynching a national hate crime, and also they want to make Juneteenth a national holiday. Now, according to the plan, uh, according to the campaign, the plan will increase access to capital in black communities by almost $500 billion and create 500,000 new black-owned businesses. Here's Donald Trump talking to y'all. And then, of course, when he's done, I will deconstruct this entire plan. And I'm here today to announce a brand new plan to deliver more opportunity, more security, more fairness, and more prosperity to black communities. We call it the Platinum Plan. Platinum Plan. And that's a contract with black Americans, and it's going to be something that people talk about for a long time to come. If you vote Republican over the next four years, we will create three million new jobs for the black community. Open 500,000 new black-owned businesses. Increase access to capital in black communities by $500 billion. And this includes investing in community development, financial institutions, and minority depository institutions. Build up peaceful and safer urban neighborhoods with the highest standards of, and you know this, of policing. We want the highest standards. We have to have, we have, to have highest standards of policing. Bring even greater fairness to the justice system. We did criminal justice reform. We remember that. Even greater, we will create a national clemency project to right wrongful prosecutions and to pardon individuals who have reformed their life. You saw Alice, right? We, uh, we love Alice. She had another 24 years to go. Can you believe it? She served 22 years. She had another 24 years to go. It was ridiculous. And she is a great woman. Create a ladder of opportunity for African-American children by delivering school choice to every parent in America. So important. Give black churches the ability to compete for federal resources for their communities. Bring better and tailored health care to address the historic disparities that we've had for so many years. You know that. This includes investing in treatments for kidney disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, sickle cell disease, and maternal mortality. Advance home ownership and wealth building in the black community. Bring more manufacturing back to the USA, which we're doing anyway, and back to the inner cities, which have been largely forgotten, although not so much in the last three years, when you get right down to it. Thank you. And Democrat policies that import low-wage foreign workers from overseas to replace black workers in our inner cities. Joe Biden cares more about the citizens of foreign countries than he does about black Americans living in our own country. I will always put Americans first, and that includes, very, very importantly, black Americans. 
And there's much more in our plan, which we're releasing today. So we'll get everyone a copy. And it's actually been very well received. And we appreciate that. The Platinum Plan is a bold vision that we can and really will achieve over the next four years. And we'll be able to do it, if not sooner. Unlike my opponent, I'm not a career politician, thank goodness. I get results and I keep my promises. Hmm. Now, in the same thing he talked to, in the same deal, he talked about, oh, how this, how he has led this record investment that guarantees funding for HBCUs. All week, I used to see me rocking HBCU gear. Today, I'm representing Harris Stowe uh, out of St. Louis. Uh, so, is he lying? Yeah, let's talk about this. How you, first of all, let's talk about it with uh, Dr. William Spriggs. He's an economist at Howard University and Walter Kimbrough, president of Dillard University. Walter, I'm going to start with you. Okay, Donald Trump keeps touting how he has saved HBCUs, how he has made funding permanent for HBCUs so they don't have to keep coming back to Congress every year for asking money. You have been tweeting about this. You are an actual HBCU president. So I would think you probably would have a good idea if this funding is permanent. Is what Donald Trump is saying false? Is it true? Is it false? Is it a flat out lie? What is it? Flat out lie. And this is, it's, it, it just drives me crazy because particularly for the, the program that got funded, there are over half a dozen federally funded programs for HBCUs. He's talking about this one program that started as a pilot program by George W. Bush for two years. That program died when President Obama got to office and everybody beat him up to say, look, you need to keep this money. So then President Obama comes back like, all right, I hear y'all. I'm going to make it a 10-year program. So it's a 10-year program. Hold on, hold, so, so, so hold on one second. That's right. It was a two-year pilot program. You say it died, meaning it was over, meaning Congress, over. Had, Congress had to reauthorize it. Okay. First of all, um, that program, what is it and how much money are we talking about? So it was a two-year program for $85 million a year for HBCUs. So, 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 so $85 million that right. was shared with multiple HBCUs, $85 million. $85 million. Okay, go ahead. $85 million. So then President Obama took that and made it a 10-year program, $85 million a year. And it also is additional money for minority-serving institutions. So you'll hear some people say it's $200 million a year, but that includes the Hispanic-serving and, and Asian Pacific and all of that. So it's a 10-year program. So it started to die, and people started lobbying to the Trump administration before in 2018 to say, this program is about to die. We want to continue it. He let it die, too. Alma Adams came back and wrote the new bill called the Future Act, which made it a t another 10-year program. And then wrestling with some of the Republicans, it ended up becoming a permanent bill, but they can still only fund it out for 10 years. So we'll wait to see what happens in 10 years. But as he said today, it's a 10-year program, $85 million a year, which is exactly the same thing that we had under President Obama. So, 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 let's, just, just, so let's be clear. Again, I had Congressman Alma Adams on this show. This was not a plan that originated from the White House. No, not it was all. not. Congressman Alma Adams, who also got with Republican Mark Walter from North Carolina, whose wife is a Winston-Salem State graduate, they were the co-chairs of the HBCU Congressional Caucus, drove that thing through. So when Trump is saying, I made it permanent, 
He's talking about a single program that's $85 million a year. Exactly. That's all he's talking about. And when he takes credit for it, people will defend him and say he signed it. But this bill passed both the House and the Senate with a uh, veto-proof majority. His signature was performative. Let's just call it what it is. Because there was no way he was going to veto something that was already uh, veto-proof. So he didn't do anything. He never even tweeted about it saying, hey, let's support this. But after it passed, he's like thanking Lamar Alexander. He's thanking Ivanka, who's I don't think ever been to an HBCU function, and, and didn't even mention Alma Adams, which is the height of disrespect that he treats black people with. And in fact, and in fact, it passed the House. It was held up in the Senate by Lamar Alexander. And Congressman Alma Adams was putting pressure. Why? Because she came on this show talking about that very issue. Now, when he says record funding, I've increased HBCU fundings, fundings than what Obama did. True or false? Also a lie. Funding has increased, but if you look at his budgets, which he called the skinny budget, which comes out the beginning of each year, every year his budget has either been flat for HBCUs or the year when he cut out the $85 million, it was actually a cut. So he can't say, I've even asked for more money. But his first year, he blew up everything because he had to have his military stuff. So he went in and they added to the budget like a 20% increase. That's when Rand Paul went on the floor of the Senate and raised hell saying, look, when, when Democrats are in control, the Republicans are the conservatives. But when Republicans are in control, there are no conservatives. He was pissed because now they're going to spend all this money. So when they increased the budget... Kamala Harris and Doug Jones came back to say, y'all got this new money. Let's give the HBCUs more money, which is a 14% increase. So when you hear people say he increased HBCU funding the first year by 14%, I can show you the letter where Kamala Harris and Doug Jones asked for that money. He didn't ask for it. If you look at his budget, it's zero increase. So he's taking credit for other people's work. And every year he comes back. Flat budget for these programs, for the two Title III programs, for the minority, uh, for the HBCU graduate programs, for the HBCU master's programs. They're always flat. And then the money goes up because Democrats come in and, and work with Republicans and increase the funding. And then he says, look what I did. I did all this for you. Uh, so all of that is a lie. None of his budgets support what he's saying now. Yes, the money went up, but he didn't ask for it. Last point for you. I've had people uh, who, oh, my goodness, uh, Kimbrough's making it up. There's a photo. You were one of the HBCU presidents who was here in D.C. when they took photos in the Oval Office, so it's not like you were not in the room. Right. There, there is one photo that has me in it. Now, I, I'm not in most of them because when it went down and Omarosa said, we are going into the Oval Office, right then and there, I knew this is a setup. This is not good for us. And so I am actually in the back of the room next to the picture of Andrew Jackson. So in 90% of the pictures, you will not see me. I can show you a picture that shows that I was there, but uh, I wasn't trying to be in those because now anytime there's a story and it's bad for black people, that's one of the pictures that they use. So no, 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 no. But the, po but the point I'm making is you were there. You know right. what was said. You were sitting there listening to it. And so when somebody says, oh, uh, uh, that's just uh, uh, sour grapes. And also, for, for, the, for the MAGA people, how long have you been an HBCU president? I'm in my 16th year. At two different institutions? Two institutions. As president. So that's for all the folks who say he don't know what he's talking about. He's sort of making this whole thing up. Um, uh, anything, anything else our audience needs to know about the truth about Donald Trump and HBCUs? 
It's all of it is inflated. It, the things that he should take credit for. So, for example, Dillard was one of four institutions impacted by Hurricane Katrina. We had a loan that did get forgiven under this administration. Secretary DeVos worked on that. I was in meetings with her. They can take that as a win. They brought back some repel. They can take that as a win. But there are other things that happen. We've lost a Perkins loan. Uh, we've had TRIO programs and upward bound programs lost from HBCU. So it's it's a mixed bag, but he always presents it as, I've done all this, I've saved you, when there are some losses that we've had as well. And then he made up some stories about things he did for us, like allowing faith-related institutions to get federal funding from the HBCU Capital Finance Program when we were already getting that money. He gave a speech last year in D.C. saying, I had all this change. So he made up a story, and then he never did an executive order to show that he did what he said he was going to do. So that's the problem. It's so just, so hold, hold up, hold up. That was an executive order that he said he was going to do. What, what was that executive order supposed to be? It was supposed to make sure that faith-based religious uh, institutions affiliated HBCUs would be able to have access to the HBCU Capital Finance Program. But we already have access to that program. We're actually getting that money now. So when I heard the speech, I was like, what are you talking about? We already have access to this money. And so he says, I've done this for you. But then he doesn't go back and create an executive order to do what he said he was going to do anyway. So he made it up. And then he didn't follow through with a made-up executive order to fix the made-up problem. Walter Kimbrough, president of Dillard University. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Yep. All right, folks, we're going to further continue our deconstruction of this platinum plan with economist uh, Dr. William Spriggs, of course, the economist with AFL-CIO, also Howard University. All right, Bill, so let's, first of all, uh, it's an insult, uh, the name of this, the platinum plan. Uh, I guess he thinks that's going to appeal to black folks uh, who like diamonds, gold, uh, and platinum. So so let's just, let's just sort of deal with that. But, but I want to I want to I want to take this thing through, and I want to go uh, one by one because, and, I, and I'm calling this a deconstruction for a reason, uh, because uh, we did the exact same thing with Joe Biden's plan, where we went through this whole deal and we laid out exactly in terms of what it calls for, and so let's let's deal with this that he's he's touting. First of all, uh, we're going to go to the um, the first thing: uh, three million. Uh, Jobs, he said. Uh, let's just no, no. Pull, pull the other graphic up, y'all. We're gonna switch between the two. So go there first. Three million new jobs for the black community. Did did he say how that's gonna happen? No, he didn't. But let's remember, he's in the hole because we have fewer jobs than when he took office. Right now, he took office. Black unemployment was seven point five percent. It drops down to, what, 5.1% in late 2019. Right now, black unemployment is, what, 13%? Yes. So, I don't count the drop because what counts is what's the score. Right, right. right. So so, <laughs> so the point I is... Care, I don't care that, that, that you tell me at halftime we were ahead. Right. So it was 7.5% when you came in. It was here. Now it's 13%. So when you say, I'm going to add 3 million new jobs, all you doing is talking about I'm going to replace what we've lost. What he lost. What he lost, right. Since he want to claim everything. All right, next one. He says, create 500,000 new black-owned businesses. How? He doesn't say how he's going to do it. If he doesn't address discrimination in lending, he can't. And we saw what his Treasury Department did. The payroll protection program rolled out, and black businesses 
were disproportionately hurt because their competitors got loans they did not. And we know that within that short space of time, we lost a way disproportionate share of black jobs while his Treasury Department did nothing. It took Congress to come back, reauthorize the PPP program, and direct that the money went to community uh, CDFIs, community development financial institutions and minority depository institutions, so that the money would get to black businesses. A dollar late. But here's so the other deal. He but we've also we, we're, lo we're losing an opportunity to just keep the number of businesses, and he failed. We also we've been losing businesses because of COVID, and so when you say you're going to add 500,000, same thing. You're trying to add what we a we've actually lost. So let's go to the guys. Pull the next one up. Put the graphic up, please. Come on. I need the graphic. Come on. No, the graphic, please. Thank you. The gra thank you. That one. Increase access to capital in black communities by almost 500 billion. Okay, but here's the piece, y'all. Read the details. Come down to my graphic, please. Where the 500 billion comes from is seeking infrastructure funding that will lead to widespread growth in the annual 500 billion federal contracting opportunities. He's talking about the same money. So that's, right. that's not 500 new billion. He's like, oh, that's just, I'm just touting what is over here in the infrastructure plan. But, but, but that's infrastructure. That's not two black businesses. Precisely. Keep going. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's just, again, walking people through. Next item on the, on the graphic. All right. Safe urban neighborhoods with the highest policing standards. That's a waste of my time. But you know what? Let me just do this here. Now, let me go to my deal here. So let, let me go right down to that one. So here's what's quite interesting about that. Because this is the detailed plan that I have right here. So he says that, y'all going to love this one. Um, National Clemency Program, got that. Um, this is right here. Restore safety to America's great cities by working with police departments. I'm going to bring in uh, Rob and Amisha right here as well and accountable models of policing, including diversity training and accreditation standards. Rob, how can you say you're going to have diversity training for cops when you just got rid of diversity training on the federal level? I was just going to make that, I was going to make that point. You know, he has an executive order getting rid of diversity and training, and he has an executive order where he doesn't want us to tell the truth about history. He says, so we don't want to deal with the fact that we've had racism. And he says this line, this line in, in his executive order that says, you know, the Civil War dealt with this, and people are acting as if we are we were built on a racist country. We were, and we still haven't gotten rid of a lot of things, and we need to deal with it and, and really tell the truth about it. So he's not even telling the truth of history. He doesn't care about diver diversity and training. He is doing this to make some white people, and I guess the few black people that are supporting him, feel like they have something to talk about. Like, okay, uh, we know you're saying racist stuff. We know you've done all this stuff, so we got to have something. And now he can just give him this talking point, like, I'm going to help black people by, by doing this. The man has been there for four years, and you're going to tell me 45 days before the election you got your black plan? You can say black people now? I mean, I'm just saying. Uh, Amisha, I'm looking here again under this whole deal of fueling access to capital for black-owned businesses. He says, increase opportunities for small business lending and technical assistance through community development financial institutions in order to grow business and create generational wealth opportunities with over $400 billion in lending. 
Then he says, examine alternative ways to build credit, including rent, utilities, and phone bills. Make the Minority Business Development Agency permanent. Appoint its leader to the Assistant Secretary of Commerce level. Create a sub-office of African American Affairs and engage with private sector advisors to ensure real-world plans and solutions. Increase the number of black-owned con contracting businesses, financial services entities, and private equity investment funds through regulatory reform and up to $40 billion in government funding alongside traditional private investment. Advance lending relationships with financial institutions, particularly those businesses who weren't able to participate in PPP. Host senior executives from major financial institutions on a quarterly basis to advance new and equitable lending programs for black communities. All of this stuff that he said that he wants to do in the second term, he hasn't done in the first term. He could have done it first. He could have done it at first. Hell, he could have ran on it in the first term. He did not. These, there was nothing stopping President Trump, who also, be mindful of people, he's all, he also, his party also has the Senate. He could have done this immediately, um, long ago. Like, there was nothing stopping him from doing any of this. But, but to the point mentioned a minute ago, we have a president who is now listing off things that um, run in direct contrast to the things that he says on his stump speeches. He's not somebody who cares about race and equity. He thinks of those things as unpatriotic. And if you talk about them, then you're not American. He think, he does not care about lending practices that disproportionately affect African Americans. And we've seen that time and time again. He won't even have a sit-down conversation with the NAACP or the National Urban League when both of them and their CEOs have spoken to these issues directly and have plans that I believe it looks like he lifted literally out of those plans, some of the language that he's using within this new, very odd framework of this platinum plan, platinum plan, which sounds a little sketchy in and of itself. But I think that what President Trump is doing, and it's not to get the black vote, he already knows that that's not really going to happen for him. Um, what he is trying to do is to mitigate some of the disastrous commentary that he's had that makes some white people feel uneasy, particularly some white suburban women. So when you talk about there being this racist rhetoric and you talk about there being, you know, all of the all of the issues that the Black Lives Matter movement has brought to the forefront, this is a president who now is saying through means testing and through hearing a lot of what, you know, the white people in the street who are holding BLM signs are saying is that, hey, you know, maybe if I put together this plan and bring out some trinkets of black people to Atlanta, because be mindful, the majority of the folks who were at that Atlanta gathering today weren't from Atlanta, they flew in from other places, then maybe, just maybe, I'll be able to show to good-meaning white Got people it. who otherwise would not, you know, be fervent supporters of his that I'm trying to do something. Be mindful. He could have done this months ago. He could have done this years ago. If he wanted right. to actually implement these plans, he could have done it. He knew that the PPP loans, by the way, they were designed. But, but, they were not meant to help right. black businesses. But Period. I want I to I I I I go through this because, again, I'm looking here <clears throat> and I'm, I'm just so laughing, Bill, because he says, grow minority-owned businesses with additional tax cuts to stimulate hiring and investment. Bill, have the tax cuts overall for all of America, have they stimulated hiring and investment? No, the economy actually slowed after the passage of his tax credit. So when you look at the growth of black employment, it was already underway when President Obama was president. And so what you look at is a path that actually slowed and, of course, now it collapsed on him. But the Min Minority Business Development Agency is under his control. He doesn't need the Senate or Congress to do some of the things that he mentioned there. Instead, he undermined that agency. He gutted that agency. So for him to now say, oh, but if I get reelected, I'm going to do something different, as if he didn't undermine it before. And the PPP, as I mentioned, he knew that it was failing black businesses. 
That was directly under the control of the Treasury. He did nothing. It was only when Congress stepped in and reauthorized the additional amount of funds and directed them explicitly to minority-owned businesses that you saw the PPP program respond. He had his first time at bat. He whipped. He totally missed the ball. The more damaging thing he says is later in this plan, when it comes to black home ownership. No, 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 hold on, wait, 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 hold on, wait, I'm going to get to that. Hold on. I'm going to take it by section. In his plan, he says, encourage onshoring and development of domestic manufacturing to increase supply chain, business development and employment. Sounds great. Have, has manufacturing jobs, have they increased or decreased under Trump? They've decreased, and in key states, Ohio and Michigan, the auto industry has, in fact, stalled and faltered under his control. So he today... So, he so today... Those jobs so, the steel jobs that he promised right. because of his war uh, that he declared was going to get us back jobs by his reckless use of tariffs did not, in fact, generate new jobs in that industry. So his track record on that is that this is not materialized. He totally bungled the whole world atmosphere when it came to trade, when he attacked the Paris Accord. And instead of using the green economy as a way to leverage the WTO, the World Trade Organization, and actually get us rules that would benefit manufacturing, he went in the opposite direction, undermined the whole credibility right. of all the exercise, and we've lost jobs under him. Right. So, so, right. so, so in his speech, he touted Oh, I'm going to we, he he lied in his speech because I, I listened to all of it saying we've been, we brought jobs back home we've increased manufacturing that hasn't happened now let's go to the education piece here um, federal state and local community partnership to close failing schools to replace them with a full school choice and education opportunity to put American parents back in control over their children's future well the reality is you can't you, you can't on the federal level you can't close schools those are local decisions. It's not going to happen. I'm a supporter of school choice, but what he's laying out, okay, remember, during the campaign, he announced his school choice plan at a failing charter school in Cleveland, Rob, that had a score of an F that was founded by uh, the founder of K-12. And I said, it's pretty stupid to announce a plan at a failing charter school. Well, that's how dumb he was. Continue to protect the vital role of HBCUs. That's it. It's a line. Don't even know what the hell that means. Uh, increase the amount of Pell Grants and allow for vocational employment and second cha change homecomers. I don't know what that the hell that is. Have they, has he increased Pell Grants, uh, 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 Bill? He, he did restore access during the summer, but as you heard from President Kimbrough, the rest of what he's done to students is to undermine the program because he's, he's cut all the support for their parents. So, this is a great letter that Leslie Baskerville has written on behalf of Nafio in response to this repeated claim that Trump wants to make, that the little bit that got added, and as President Kimbrough pointed out to you, not because Trump asked for it, not because he asked for it, but the things he did ask for undermined their parents, the things that made it harder for their parents to get money, <laughs> to survive, and now to have jobs. He undermined our students in so many ways that his efforts really made it more difficult for our students, not easier. And so simply adding the summer takes away the Perkins loans that you heard President Kimbrough mention. Those Perkins loans are the ones of the job training that you just mentioned in that sentence. 
He attacked the Perkins loan and took them away. So to say I'm going to do something by bringing them back, okay, but you destroyed it. So uh, I'm going to give you credit four years from now for putting back what you took away. That wouldn't make sense. Now, I love this one here under health care, Rob. Uh, he lays out all this sort of stuff, reduce costs, opportunity to be in charge of your own health care and choose your own doctor, eliminate longstanding. Eliminate longstanding health care disparities. Really? That, that, that's a single line. <laughs> no, no, no other detail there. Investments into the cause and cures of kidney disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, sickle cell disease, maternal mortality, mortality, and other diseases that disproportionately affect African-American populations. But he wants to get rid of the Affordable Care Act, Rob. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you, you already beat me to the point there. And this is just like, do you remember Roland and Amisha? Do you guys remember Trump steak? Do you remember Trump Airlines? Yep. Okay, well, most people won't, and that's because none, none of it none of it worked. It all crashed, and it was all bullshit. This is what this is. This, so I'll just sum up what this plan is. It's Trump's way of just making it seem like he's doing something to not be racist, that he actually cares about black people, to make some white people in swing states feel as if they can be justified in voting for him. And maybe he's not a racist. No, he definitely is a racist. He's a con man. He's the same person he's been. So don't fall for it. There's nothing here. It's a nothing burger. Now we're getting to the end of it. Prosperous black communities. And Bill, we'll go here. Champion federal policy reforms to advance home ownership initiatives. In his speech, Bill, he talked about how African Americans enjoyed the most prosperous moments in history under him. He said black home ownership was at his highest rates. No, that was under Bill Clinton. He talked about the same thing when it came to black wealth. No, it hasn't been under him as well. What the hell have they done with home ownership in the last three and a half years? I've seen nothing. No, but worse than that, the number one reason we don't own homes is because of discrimination in the housing market. And he undermined the Fair Housing Act. He took as many steps as possible within the time he's been in office to fulfill that other thing he's been saying to that other crowd. Remember how he told everybody, if you get Joe Biden, you're going to have Cory Booker as a neighbor. That was his signal that I am going to continue the policies I have been pursuing to resegregate, intensify the segregation of American housing. And that is what I'm going to deliver to you suburban voters. So his real actions stand in direct in the direct way. It's the wall that keeps us from being able to own homes. He's making that wall taller. Amisha, He's not right. down the wall. Amisha, he says here, go to my iPad, make Juneteenth a national holiday. Do you recall when that could have been done in July and it was Congressman Ron, excuse me, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin who refused to allow unanimous consent to make it a federal holiday? I don't recall Donald Trump saying, stand down, Senator Johnson. I don't recall a single tweet by saying, make this happen. Again, this is bullshit. No, you're absolutely correct. Not only did he not say stand down, this is a president who um, acted as though he didn't know, and maybe he didn't know what Juneteenth was until after <laughs> his plans to hold a racist rally um, were actually shot down. I think that this, a lot of this is basically um, word vomit, to say the least. It's President Trump literally Googling what black people want and then stealing from black organizations. Like I said, the National Urban League, the um, the, the Congressional Black, the CBCI has actually... It, it, 
pushed a lot of this stuff, the Congressional Black Caucus Institute. We've also seen it from organizations like the NAACP. But if you do a quick Google search of the top things that matter to black people, basically all he did was threw in these benchmarks that, that don't have any full or inclusive plan of actually how to get them done. He's not being informed by actual African-Americans in, you know, who are leaders in education, who are leaders in healthcare, who are people who are leaders in housing, people who are actually fighting the good fight out here and have some very specific means of trying to make things better for African-Americans across this country. None of this is informed rhetoric. This is These are empty promises, again, that he's not using or even directing towards black people. He's directing this towards white people in swing states because he assumes that because there are so many white people who locked arms with black people during the Black Lives Matter protests and the George Floyd protests, that now he has to say something because in those states, things are very tight for him. So, That's what he's doing. This is a last-ditch effort. There was a right. thing on this list that he couldn't have done years ago if he wanted to do it. Rob, Rob, prosecute the KKK and Antifa as terrorist organizations and make lynching a national hate crime. First, the FBI director, Christopher Wray, just testified the other day that Antifa is not an organization. It's an ideology. It's Two, make lynching a national hate crime. I'm sorry, do you recall Donald Trump telling Senator Rand Paul to stand down, who was blocking, again, lynching from a national hate crime, a bill that uh, Senator Tim Scott co-sponsored with Booker uh, and Harris. I don't recall Donald Trump saying Jack. So when it could have been made a national hate crime, where was Trump? Uh, he, he was doing what Trump does, saying some other bullshit that doesn't matter. I mean, this is what the man does. I mean, he figures out what to do with the moment and what can I say at this moment to make some people believe me and hope that it works. You know, I think I think Misha said it best, this word bombing. He's just, throw some shit up against the wall, see if it sticks. I mean, this is what he's doing, right? And he just he's just taking some ideas and then letting people go with these talking points to say, see, I'm not racist, you can talk about these things. Never mind all the things that I've said. Never mind the fact that I encourage somebody to go out and kill some people again in Wisconsin. We're not going to forget that. That's one example out of many. Never mind that he called African uh, countries shithole countries. Never mind, never mind. We can go through. I can be here all day. I mean, but it would take all the time in your show. I mean, the man is, is as divisive as they come. He's toxic. He's racist. He's a horrible leader, and there's nothing he can do to change that. Only we can change that. And um, uh, Bill, uh, this is interesting. Uh, fuel black, fuel black, go my iPad. Fuel black farmers and access to healthy foods to address food disparities. And then favorable trade. First of all, they, they didn't even spell. They didn't even uh, proofread this. Favorable <laughs> trade deals to bring back manufacturing jobs and health black contractors, farmers, inventors, and consumers. I don't even know what. I don't even know what that is, Bill. Uh, let's guess. Maybe they meant help. Right. Uh, Might mean help, not, not help. Uh, but fuel black farmers and access to help. Black farmers don't need access to healthy foods? Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to assume that, that what he means is he's going to help uh, black farmers get access to urban markets so that they can, they can have more channels for, for uh, supplying food. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure John, had, I'm sure John again, Boyd would laugh at that. I'm gonna go ahead. But but again, he's had these opportunities. He's been in charge. He's had an opportunity to do all of these things. In fact, if you look at what he's saying there, not only did he rip it off from the Congressional Black Caucus in many points, but these are things that the House passed that the Senate failed on. And 
in essence, what he's saying is Nancy Pelosi is a good Speaker of the House. That's what he's saying. And so the next time you hear him say anything bad about Nancy Pelosi and how she's a communist and going to turn the American system into socialism, you just say, well, Mr. President, on, on when it came to black people, you thought Nancy was the greatest thing since sliced bread. So I find this one very interesting, Amisha. We only got two left. Uh, defend religious liberty and African-American churches that lift the conscience of our nation. Really? How? The man don't even go to church. He, he doesn't go to church. I would like to. I would like for them to describe, you know, what this actually means. Because at the end of the day, you know, I, I think that this again, this goes back to him trying to speak to a specific audience, and that specific audience ain't black people. So when he's talking about religious liberties, when he's talking about bringing these things to the forefront, he's not talking about black churches because at the, he, we know that when um, people were shot in the black church just a few years ago, he really showed very little concern whatsoever and found good people on both sides of a situation. So no, I, I don't think that this president gives too like sense about the black church at all, nor does he care about faith and religion. But I think that he is speaking to an audience, again, that is not black people. He's speaking to an audience and trying to lean in on those on those swing states, but he's speaking to white women specifically right now. The same white women who he's done this entire campaign cycle of trying to make afraid of black people in general. So when we're having these conversations, I think that it's very, uh, it's very interesting, his timing of releasing this plan, but also the fact that, you know, it comes out literally within a, a day of us hearing about the Breonna Taylor case, he is very strategic in trying to be mindful of what he thinks that those people in the suburbs actually want to hear. But he's not, he doesn't have any real intent on making any of this happen at all. And of course, right here, the last one, collaborate with cities and counties to address mental illness and substance abuse. Really, Bill, my God, you're going to collaborate? No, I think probably what those cities and counties would say is, where in the hell is the money? Well, again, this is the defund the police movement, right? The whole movement is why are all of these funds going to the police when the biggest encounters that disturb us the most too often involve people who have actual mental health crises and their families are desperate to try and get help. They call the police instead of being able to call mental health experts. So. You know, he criticized people want to defund the police, but that's where the money would come from. The money would come from, don't fund the police to do this, fund the professionals who know what they're doing when they encounter someone in a crisis. That's what this is saying. So he doesn't disagree with the people that he's been sniping at and saying sounded ignorant. And of course, I want to do this here, Rob. This is from the National Alliance on Mental Illness from August of 2019. Um, uh, that uh, they lay out here uh, that uh, Donald Trump will, will actually going to be slashing funds for mental health care. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're, you're talking about what facts and things that actually he's doing, not not words that he's saying. These these things rarely align when it comes to Donald Trump. So yes, he doesn't care about mental health funding. He doesn't care about black businesses. He cares about getting reelected, keeping power, and making those who have supported him have something to talk about. They have nothing to talk about other than a horrible record of leadership and, and I'm sure, the most divisive president we've ever seen. Uh, folks, uh, I did reach out to the Trump campaign, sent an email to two individuals, 
asking, did any of them, did they make anyone available to come on this show to actually discuss and defend this plan? No response. Bill Spriggs, I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, folks, got to go to the commercial break. When we come back, more Roland Martin Unfiltered as we break down Joe Biden and how military veterans are moving towards supporting him. That's next on Roland Martin Unfiltered. The community comes together to support the fight against racial injustice. I want to take a second to talk about one thing we can do to ensure our voices are heard. Not tomorrow, but now. Have your voices heard in terms of what kind of future we want by taking the 2020 census today at 2020census.gov? Now, folks, let me help you out. The census is a count of everyone living in the country. It happens once every 10 years. It is mandated by the U.S. Constitution. The thing that's important is that the census informs funding, billions of dollars, how they are spent in our communities every single year. I grew up in Clinton Park in Houston, Texas, and we wanted, to, we wanted new parks and roads and a senior citizen center. Well, the census helps inform all of that and where funding goes. It also determines how many seats your state will get in the U.S. House of Representatives. Young black men and young children of color are historically undercounted which means a potential loss of funding of services that helps our community. Folks, we have the power to change that. We have the power to help determine where hundreds of billions in federal funding go each year for the next 10 years. Funding that can impact our community, our neighborhoods, and our families and friends. Folks, responses are 100% confidential and can't be shared with your landlord, law enforcement, or any government agency. So please take the 2020 census today. Shape your future. Start at 2020census.gov. I am Eddie Bernice Johnson representing the 30th District of Texas. You have one vote, the same number that I have. We got to use those votes. If you don't use it, you lose it. folks on this show we tout black owned businesses and seek.com is one of them it is a virtual reality company founded by found, founded by mary spiel a couple of devices that they have folks that they have made available to our uh, listeners and viewers that one of this is their one of them is their virtual reality headset allows you to place your cell phone inside of this device to actually enjoy programming in virtual reality you can look at concerts and other sort of programming watch 360 degree video so pretty cool they also have uh their headphones these headphones here 360 degree 4d headphones great for gaming listen to music videos as well uh and so if you want to get one or both of these items go to seek.com c-e-e-k.com use this promo code rmvip2020 rmvip2020 
for you to participate. And so we thank all the folks. Uh, we thank Seek.com for being a partner here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, uh, we talk about what is happening uh, in uh, this campaign, the military. One of the issues, huge issue, that is, deals with the military. Close to 500 retired top military and national security officials from both parties and have endorsed Vice President Joe Biden. In a letter signed by them, the group called the National Security Leaders for Biden, they say, quote, the current president is not up to the enormous responsibilities of the office. These experts include 22 four-star generals. The letter comes after an endorsement of Trump last week by 234 senior military leaders. Here is an ad that Joe Biden has targeted to the military. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. It should have been easy day maybe about five minutes, 10 minutes into it, we come under attack, I just make a step. It felt like the blast cost me maybe about 15 feet. I can remember trying to stand back up. My ears are just ringing and I'm wondering if I'm going to make it home. I, I just really wanted the chance to put my arms around my wife and my daughters. Taught me that you, know, you can't take anything for granted. Can't wait until tomorrow to say I love you. I gave two legs for this country. I got friends that never came back home. The guys that had their caskets draped with our nation's colors, those are the real heroes. And you mean to tell me you call them suckers, losers? With all due respect, I think you missed it on this one. A public servant is the greatest servant. I need someone in that White House that understands what it means to serve. I, I know Joe Biden understands the sacrifices that troops make, and that's the guy that I want leading this country. Joining me now is Ginger Miller. She's the president and CEO of Women Veterans Interactive, Inc. Ginger, glad to have you on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Uh, when Trump made it, was reported, uh, Trump made his comments uh, losers in reference to military folks. That's what also led Cindy McCain to come out and endorse uh, Joe Biden. And it, it's very interesting to see uh, Trump loves to wrap himself in, in, in the flag and how he loves the military, how he saved the military. But this is a guy who actually used the fake excuse of bones burst to get out of serving uh, and literally said, why would these people serve? And I think what's telling is that the person who he made these comments to is General John Kelly, who has not come out to say the story is wrong. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much for having me tonight, Roland, and thank you for covering this segment. I am appalled. As a black woman who has served um, this country, I am totally appalled that the so-called commander-in-chief would come out and call those of us who have served and sacrificed for this country and those of us who continue to serve losers and suckers. Like, I, I just can't make the connection. And then when you see the video that you just showed, you know, it just brings tears to my eyes to know that this young man came home without legs. And that you have the audacity to call us losers and suckers. You know, we need a commander-in-chief that, number one, has empathy, number one, tells the truth, and number three, don't hide behind lies. Like, I'm just totally appalled. I've had enough of, of Trump. Um, it's time for him to go. Um, again, uh, when you when you look at how he even attacks generals, supposedly he remember it was all I got all these generals, but every time someone disagrees with him, he attacks them. He's attacked Mattis, he's attacked McMaster's, he's attacked Kelly. This man does not have any respect for the military. No respect for the military. He has a disregard for generals. Even when he says the term, oh, the generals, it's, it's, it's just like a common term. These men have earned the rank of general. Put some respect on that. He has no respect. He's a sore loser. 
I mean, but what more can you expect from someone who has never served and sacrificed for this country? He doesn't understand. What he wants to do is win, and he'll do anything to win, even take down the troops. I mean, there was an issue with Russia, where Russia put a bounty on the troops um, on their heads. Trump has not came out to address that issue. Yeah, to, to this day, he hasn't said a word about that at all. No, vote vets. Nothing. Vote vets, they've really been uh, uh, criticizing him uh, in a huge way. Not only that, uh, according to Military Times poll, more troops, more active duty troops say they will vote for Joe Biden over Donald Trump. This is the headline right here uh, from Military Times on August 31st. Trump's popularity slips in the latest Military Times poll. More troops say they will vote for Biden. As they should. Every troop should vote for Biden. You can't expect to go to Iraq and Afghanistan and go overseas to serve your country, and then you have a commander-in-chief back in Washington, D.C., who's putting a bounty on your head or who's using you for a prop or who's telling you, oh, when your husband gets killed, well, he knew what he signed up for. Come on, where's the respect? You know, when, when I think of Joe Biden, I think respect. I think integrity. I think commander-in-chief. I think trust. I think empathy. Uh, I, I just go ahead. I, I don't. I, I don't get it. We have a lot of work to do to get Joe Biden in, in the White House, and we're working diligently, night and day, to make sure that every veteran and every active duty person votes for Joe Biden. We need a commander in chief that we can trust. Trust is a big issue with Trump. Uh, and again, uh, he cloaks himself uh, in this whole, uh, you know, um, this whole deal. But he, how he's also attacked. Gold Star families, Khan uh, and others. This is a video that Vote Vets put out. We'll talk about it. I was seven months pregnant when Derek deployed to Afghanistan. The day before our son was born, I found out that Derek had been killed in action. Michael never got to meet his father. Chip Roy was one of only three congressmen who voted to make Gold Star children, like my son, pay higher taxes on their survivor benefits. I don't think that Chip Roy cares about the sacrifices that families like mine have made. Vote vets and House Majority PAC are responsible for the content of this advertising. I ran that because, again, you're not seeing, you're seeing how this attack, again, how they love to put their arms around Gold Star families. Remember the brother who was uh, killed uh, and his and his right. wife said when Donald Trump called, he made it worse. Right. And, and I don't understand um, where is the respect? Where is the compassion? And when you do things like this, you're, you are lowering the troops' morale. You know, this is some of the reasons why folks don't want to sign up to go into the military, because you don't know what you're going to get. You sign up to serve a sacrifice for this country, and this country is doing nothing to support you. You know, I think it's very disrespectful. That woman in the video, her husband died. And now you want to tax the benefits? Um, something is definitely wrong with that picture. You know, um, it's definitely a sad state of affairs, Roland, that we find ourselves in in this country. And when you look at everything that's happening now on, on the prior segment that you just had, when you talked about African-Americans as an African-American woman veteran, you know, that's a double-edged sword for me. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when, when after I got out of the military, I was homeless, and that's why I do the work that I do at Women Veterans Interactive, and I want a commander-in-chief who's going to have empathy to make sure that no other woman veteran is homeless again. And I know for a fact that Joe Biden will be that president. All right, then, uh, Ginger. Look, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, thank you so very much. Keep the fight up.
Thank you for having me, Roland. Have an awesome night. Thank you very much. Um, Amisha, here's the whole deal here, real quick. And that is, Republicans, again, love to say, oh, they, how the military supports them. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, this man has grossly disrespected the military, said he is he knows more than any, uh, any general whatsoever. Uh, he has countermanded the military chain of command when they tried to uh, punish uh, uh, a Navy SEAL, just gave him a pardon uh, and, and, and said, how you are not going to take uh, his Navy SEAL insignia. That He does not care about that. He's operating as a dictator. Yeah, your, your previous guest was spot on. I think that, you know, you don't have to be in the military to understand the sacrifice that servicemen and women have done for this country. And I think that the Republican Party, by and large, has, just like they co-opted religion, they co-opted the military as only being and serving them, and that, you know, their interests were the ones that were best covered by military service. And I think that Democrats were kind of wrong for allowing that to happen. But what we see with President Trump is a president who himself did everything he could, told every lie he could find, bone spurs, whatever he could pull out of the sky, to not have to serve himself. Meanwhile, demonizing and making fun of military leaders, but also people who've served in the military who have lost limbs. I mean, we know that harsh things that he said and other Republicans have said about U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth. We know that he does not care. We know that this is an administration that promised to help those who are coming back from serving uh, in the military who have mental health issues. And we still he developed a task force, a task force that has yet to reveal any types of recommendations, plans, or any funding towards those who are, you know, in need of mental health services. So everything that he said about the military, he does not live up to. He likes to, President Trump likes to hug the flag. He likes to rally around it and talk about it. But when it comes, when the rubber meets the road, the military service men and women current, as well as those who are out now, cannot and are back home in, in, in the United States, can no longer trust and can't put their faith in this president because right. Trump just simply does not live up to the things that he says on his stump speeches right. and while he's on the campaign trail when it comes to serving the military and making sure that they are elevated to the rightful ownership they have, not only of this country, but also that they get everything that they need when they are returning. and so that they can fully become, you know, right. full citizens of society. Rob, here's uh, here was a video of VoteVest put out, a World War II vet uh, making it perfectly clear about service. I enlisted in the U.S. Army Air Corps in World War II. I was on baton. We fought the good fight with what we had, and it wasn't enough. I was a prisoner of war slave laborer for 42 months, we were forced to perform unbelievably brutal manual labor. That was probably one of the worst conditions a human being can be put in. He's not a war hero. He's a war hero. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. None of the fellows that I served with who are no longer with us are suckers. They are not losers. Donald Trump disrespects everyone who served in the military. What's worse, he lies about it. We need to vote Donald Trump out of office. And we need to vote out any politicians if they continue to support Donald Trump. Can't get any clearer than that, Rob. No, I really can't. And, uh, you know, Trump will use anybody, and I've said this on this show, uh, he will run over his mother if it can help him succeed in life. He's a he's a con man. He is good at, he, look, he just wants to entertain. And 
and and he wants to keep power and he will use entertainment he will use power and he will use anybody he'll use this country he'll use race he'll use uh he'll use sexism he will use whatever it takes to keep power and to divide this country and he thrives on us being divided and so i hope that more folks in the in the military uh understand what's going on this is not it's not about a Democrat versus Republican. You know, we have a president, as you know, who said he was he doesn't know if he's going to step down if he loses. I mean, we, we I, I'm going to take him seriously on that. I don't think he's just saying that. So, um, you know, I hope I hope that uh, those who do serve our, who who serve our military and those who understand service understand that this man is not about service. He's just about himself. All right, folks, uh, let's now go to a break. We come back. The power of the youth vote. Will the 18 to 35 year old voters, will they use their power and vote in this election? We'll discuss that next on Roland Martin Unfiltered. The community comes together to support the fight against racial injustice. I want to take a second to talk about one thing we can do to ensure our voices are heard. Not tomorrow, but now. Have your voices heard in terms of what kind of future we want by taking the 2020 census today at 2020census.gov? Now, folks, let me help you out. The census is a count of everyone living in the country. It happens once every 10 years. It is mandated by the U.S. Constitution. The thing that's important is that the census informs funding, billions of dollars, how they are spent in our communities every single year. I grew up in Clinton Park in Houston, Texas, and we wanted, to, we wanted new parks and roads and a senior citizen center. Well, the census helps inform all of that and where funding goes. It also determines how many seats your state will get in the U.S. House of Representatives. Young black men and young children of color are historically undercounted, which means a potential loss of funding for services that helps our community. Folks, we have the power to change that. We have the power to help determine where hundreds of billions in federal funding go each year for the next 10 years. Funding that can impact our community, our neighborhoods, and our families and friends. Folks, responses are 100% confidential and can't be shared with your landlord, law enforcement, or any government agency. So please, take the 2020 census today. Shape your future. Start at 2020census.gov. picture of Lindsey Graham enjoying a hot dog. I'm being killed financially. Lindsey Graham needs you. Five or ten bucks from half your audience would fill in the gap. Only you can stop the suffering. Please call. Oh my God, I laugh at that. That's a Lincoln Project ad targeting uh, South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham. 
uh, who is tied, who's been whining and complaining that, oh my goodness, Jamie Harrison is raising all of this money. Well, I'm going to lose. There are 38 days until Election Day, November 3rd, but people are already voting across the country. Early voting has started in places like Pennsylvania, mail-in ballots as well. David Hogg, who survived the Stoneman Douglas High School shooting in 2018, tweeted this, folks. He said, the adults are in power are never going to give a fuck about young people until we force them by voting and running against them to be the actual adults we need. It raises the question, what are young people going to do in 2020? Joining me right now is Ariel Singleton, a Georgia Black Youth Vote Coordinator. Is she there, Ariel? Hi. There we go. How Hi. you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. So, um, the, the, the point that he made, I mean, uh, 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 Hogg and others have been talking about the power of young voters. Those voters who are, who are 18 to 29, or we can go 18 to 35, uh, in terms of if they actually use that power. I was uh, talking to a woman yesterday, South Carolina, former teacher, and she said, you know what, I'm going to reach out to some of my st former students uh, to uh, make sure they're voted. She sent one a text. person said, no, I'm not registered. She says, Why? What are you doing? You need to get registered. Then the person, then the, uh, this person said, you know what? I don't follow this stuff. I don't even know who to vote for. Uh, we talked about on this particular show here, um, uh, the folks at uh, 538.com uh, did a, uh, a, what they said was a deep dive uh, at black voters. They talked about the generational differences. And uh, guys, if you can go to my iPad, please. This is what stood out. I don't vote because it doesn't make a difference. 18 to 29-year-old voters, 21% said that. Voters who are black voters who are 60 plus, only 2%. Uh, is that? And then, then one of the other issue questions was definitely motivated to vote. Vote black voters 18 to 29, 29%, 60 plus, 78%. What Hogg is talking about is right there. And that is older, you know, young voters are saying, oh, oh my goodness, what are y'all doing? He's saying, hell, if you don't use your power, you're letting other folks decide your future. No, you're absolutely right. Um, it's, but we see it changing like a lot. We see that's why at Black Youth Vote and the efforts that we're doing is to encourage um, are especially young black voters, that this is now a time. We've seen the results of my vote doesn't count, so I'm not going to vote. We see what happens when we do that. So now that we have the movement and the power, even in a new generation and, and a new time to where we have everything at our basically at our hands, what do we do now? That means we need to take to the streets. That means we need to go ahead and register to vote. That means we need to actually vote, have this voter plan. We need to do what we need to do to make sure that what happened in 2000, excuse me, 2016, if we don't like it, this is what we do to make a difference to change it. I remember being in Ohio mm -hmm. and, and I was talking to some young voters and it was, yeah, I voted for Hillary. And I'm and I'm and it was like this air resignation and I'm sitting there going thinking do y'all understand what this country is going to look like if Trump wins? I mean in my mind I'm sitting there like do you understand what a Trump Department of Justice is going to look like? You say you care about police reform. I'm like 
this dude wins, I'm looking at them going, that man don't care about student loan debt. That man don't care about Pell Grants. That man don't care about none of this sort of stuff. And it was sort of this, 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 it's like, well, just, you know, I, you know, I, I, you know, I just don't know. I really have no choice. So how are you and others communicating, connecting the dots, talking about policy and if, if certain, pe certain parties are in charge of the Senate and the House and the White House and now judiciary, how they really control power? How, how are you having that conversation? Yes. For one, we have a miseducation between when we actually vote and why we actually vote. We have so many people that are waiting every four years just to vote. And unfortunately, these are things or habits that they picked up. So you hear that conversation is, OK, the two choices that I have in front of me, they don't matter. So why register to vote? Why vote? Well, you have so many other things that you can vote for that actually take effect into that and to take to let them not be able to make the policies push forward that you don't want to happen. So what we've been doing is going down to the ground, having canvas crews, making sure we're going into the streets. Um, we're also hitting up HBCUs, making sure that we are doing this collegiate practice, this HBCU challenge, encouraging people to not only register to vote, but to have your voter plan to vote, to care about the other people that are voting, encouraging them as well, encouraging the students, encouraging your friends and your peers and taking them there for, but by educating them that this is not just the one time thing. This is not just a one time contract. You sue that, you sign a contract. It's almost like a marriage for four years. And those four years make a big difference. Um, one of the things, and, they, uh, and Rob and Amisha, get your questions ready because uh, I'm going to also want you to ask a question uh, as well of Ariel. Uh, and, and, and that is, and, and, and this is, what, this is what I keep going back to. You have folks who've checked out in that, in that poll where they say it's just not going to make a difference. To me, the follow-up is, okay, so what do you think will? I mean, if you have this attitude of, well, it's not going to make a difference, so basically you've just given up. And so if you think you can't, like, and then the other thing, Ariel, that, that, that just it befuddles me are the people who say, I want to see change. I want to see police reform. I want to see the end of systemic racism but I'm not going to vote. And I'm like, who the hell do you think is in charge of changing those systems? No, yes. And it's one thing for me personally, it bothers me as well. It's one of those things where if you don't actually raise your hand and say anything to begin with, what when it doesn't look like what you wanted it to look like, who are you to complain? So... It's about actually making, putting your stuff, your foot forward and saying, this is what I asked. This is what I wanted. This is what I asked for. This is what I voted for. This is what I'm intentionally voting for. And this is what I want to see. So then that way we can move forward. You make that first step by actually having your choice. You can't have a choice of change if you're not trying to change yourself. Uh, let's go to uh, Amisha, your question for Ariel. 
Sure. Um, we know that uh, younger voters make up a large portion of the American population. I'm a millennial myself. Um, when we talk to younger voters, often the questions relate to um, how how much they actually feel as though uh, things can be moved forward in America. So there is a large disconnect between uh, millennials who stand out in the streets and protest and who tweet and want to see change versus those who either fully understand that they can affect that change at the polling at the polling places or who actually want to take that next step and get that done. Do you think that we're going to see things be different in 2020? A lot of people assume that it might be because of RBG's death, but to be honest, as a millennial myself, I don't, I'm not setting myself up to believe that it will, but um, what are some of the ways that you think that you've been able to get more millennials involved and not through just registering? Registering, we do, but even of those registered, very few actually show up on election day. What do you think that you've done that's going to help that on the ground? And what do you think are young people's priorities that will really push them out? I think it's about the conversation and it's also about actually seeing things unfold in front of your eye, you know, and, and these aren't things just that have to deal with voting. This has to do with the protesting. This has to do with the civil injustice, the racial injustice that we are experiencing right now in front of us. So that's what gives me hope because you start to see it and now you see that it's affecting you day in and day out. So it's encouraging more people to come in and take it mass amount wanting to make this difference, wanting to make this change. You know, we're seeing even in this year, 2020, unfortunately losing a lot of people that we have to look up for, that look up to, that push the movement forward. Now we're seeing that, okay, now we need to do something because we've been looking up to everybody else at this moment in time. So now who, what are we going to do? And so it's about us having that conversation with each other, encouraging each other, having these real life conversations of it's not just your 1960 election. This is not just your race, your mama's race, your grandma's race. This is yours. This is you. This is what's happening in 2020. What are you going to do and who are you going to be? Who do you choose to be this year and in this time? Rob? Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for what you're doing. You're definitely doing the Lord's work. I, I, I spent a lot of my time uh, during my early years in college, I started the first college chapter of the NAACP registered voters doing the same thing you're doing. So I have an appreciation for how much work it is, how frustrating it can be to have the conversations with people who don't think like their vote doesn't matter. And uh, when people tell me that, I said, you're right. You've decided you have no power. So now it doesn't matter because you've given your power away. But um, what what can we do to really get after this vicious circle, if you will? Because uh, young people are not, they are correct when they say they're not represented, but they're not represented well because they don't represent. I mean, they got to go out there and actually vote in enough in a large enough numbers. So what can we do that's innovative to make this, to really put them, to, to, to really make them try to understand this vicious circle that is created? They, they, do, they do lack representation, that is true. But getting them to really understand that the only way you do that is uh, through a consistent, not only voting every four years, it's voting in every election. I can tell, by the way, I was a, I ran for state treasurer, I ran for mayor. Little bit would have made a little bit difference, all close races, and where young people did not show up at a large number. So uh, I can also tell you it does make a difference. Yeah, I, I mean, it would be easy to say the cop-out answer would be that we're in a millennial time, we're in, we're using electronics, we're using technology, we're using virtual 
however, it's not just about that. It's about encouragement. It's about voter education. It's about still having that push, not giving up, still educating as much as possible about the voter plan. Like you mentioned, you know, every little bit counts. Actually showing this and, and see what seeing the results of what happened, I think that's what's going to make a difference. Also showing them through that voter education, creating a voter plan. You know, teaching us uh, as millennials, I know myself, you know, I have bad time management and I don't, I, 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 I literally fail to plan sometimes. However, having that plan, that making that conscious effort to go out and vote, have that voter plan, but then also show that you care, have voter care, adopt a poll, adopt a precinct, help out young millennial voters, um, you know, with this process. Some of these, especially this year, this is their first time ever voting in election period. You know, they weren't yes. old enough to vote four years ago, or they may not have been 18 last year. It's about really not giving up and, and having that care, that plan, and that education piece right there. All right, now, Ar Ariel, uh, we are uh, out of time. Ariel, I really appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Uh, thank you very much, and keep, keep the good work. Thank you. Thank All you so right, much. folks. Uh, Donald Trump. Well, we are seeing that uh, uh, Amy Cohen uh, Barrett. Let me pull this up. Uh, Amy Com uh, Coney Barrett, uh, federal judge, is likely going to be Donald Trump's pick for the Supreme Court. He'll announce this tomorrow. Uh, this is, of course, she's um, a uh, Ellie Mistel tweeted this here. Uh, devout Catholic. Uh, and that, uh, he said, but she rules like an extremist conservative at the time. Religion only justifies those extremist positions when it's convenient for her to do so. Uh, of course, she's going to be replacing Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who died a week ago, becoming the first woman in U.S. history to lay in state at the U.S. Capitol in, in Washington, D.C. Thousands have been paying their respects as she lay outside the Supreme Court building this week. The formal ceremony was today. She, of course, she lay in state at the U.S. Uh, Capitol. Uh, Democratic presidential. Now, actually, she actually was laying laying in state in statuary hall. Here's the deal: she was not in the Capitol rotunda. In order for her, in order for her to lay in state in the Capitol rotunda, that would have required a resolution approved by both the House and the Senate. Today, that was a ceremony attended by Vice President Joe Biden and his wife Jill, Senator Kamala Harris, and others, and House excuse me, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell didn't even have the decency to go to the program to pay their respects. There's one beautiful that's gotten lots of attention, and that is of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, her trainer, Bryant Johnson, paying the ultimate respect, as a trainer would, to uh, his 87-year-old client.
You know, Rob, uh, real quick, a lot of people, uh, I've had some people say, oh, that's disrespectful. Uh, but this is a woman who, uh, uh, the videos and the photos of her training, lifting weights, uh, doing those push-ups. To me, you know what? That was fine. Oh, of course it was. It was a salute to her and who she was and their relationship. But those people are just looking for a reason to be critical. Uh, I think it was. I think it was fine, and I, I think it was actually uh, heartwarming in a way. Um, I, I'm just going to say this too, as um, you know, uh, Mitch McConnell doesn't come. I'm not surprised, and I also think Democrats shouldn't be surprised who they're dealing with. Like these people don't care about principle; they care about power, and that is it. So. I'm saying when Joe Biden wins, and he and he should, and he better, uh, we have to do everything possible. They better do something significant too, because the Supreme Court, as I as I talked about earlier on the show, they 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 can do things like overturn Obamacare, putting essentially putting people's lives at risk. Not essentially putting people's lives at risk, and they can they can also interpret the laws on on policing. All these things matter. And now so, but, but, but there's a lot of power they can do. We can, hey, they should, they can make DC a state. They can give it us two senators. They can, they can, they can pack the court if they want to. They can come up with some serious police reform, but they have to get rid of the filibuster and have some courage. They better do that. If they don't, Roland, this is what I'm going to guarantee. The Democrats are going to have some problems in the coming years because it's not, it's not enough to say, uh, to just to get rid of Trump. We have to do that. There has to be some real changes and some real representation for everybody, particularly for black and brown people here. Absolutely. All right, folks, uh, I got to go to a break real quick. When we come back, UFC fighter calls Black Lives Matter a terrorist organization. UFC president Dana White defends him. But the company that owns UFC, Endeavor, they supposedly say Black Lives Matter. Hmm, that's next. As our community comes together to support the fight against racial injustice, I want to take a second to talk about one thing we can do to ensure our voices are heard. Not tomorrow, but now. Have your voices heard in terms of what kind of future we want by taking the 2020 census today at 2020census.gov? Now, folks, let me help you out. The census is a count of everyone living in the country. It happens once every 10 years. It is mandated by the U.S. Constitution. The thing that's important is that the census informs funding, billions of dollars, how they are spent in our communities every single year. I grew up in Clinton Park in Houston, Texas, and we wanted, to, we wanted new parks and roads and a senior citizen center. Well, the census helps inform all of that and where funding goes. It also determines how many seats your state will get in the U.S. House of Representatives. Young black men and young children of color are historically undercounted which means a potential loss of funding for services that helps our community. Folks, we have the power to change that. We have the power to help determine where hundreds of billions in federal funding go each year for the next 10 years. Funding that can impact our community, our neighborhoods, and our families and friends. Folks, responses are 100% confidential and can't be shared with your landlord, law enforcement, or any government agency. So please take the 2020 census today. Shape your future. Start at 2020census.gov. I'm looking forward to the millennials really making a difference in 2020. There are a lot of folks out here who don't want you to vote. 
and they're doing everything to keep you from voting because they don't want you to have power. They don't want you to have the money. They don't want you to have the resources to have a decent quality of life. And those are some of the people who are living in the best styles with the most money in this country. So if you don't want to have them continue to tell you what you can have, you better get out here and vote. Colby Covington, a UFC fighter who is an outspoken supporter of Donald Trump, engaged in a heated post-fight exchange with welterweight champ Kamaru Usman, who was born in Nigeria. Covington asked Usman if he got a call from his, quote, little tribe using smoke signals. He also described another fighter who is black and has been advocating for Black Lives Matter as a communist, a Marxist, and someone standing up for lifelong criminals. UFC president Dana White said... His promotion will not muzzle anybody when he was asked yesterday about his early reaction. Joining me now is A.J. Springer, a journalist and owner of Springer Communications, and Andreas Hale, senior editor for Combat Sports. Um, so, A.J., I want to start with you. Um, this guy, Kobe, is known for making lots of racist comments. But for Dana White to say, I don't see anything racist in his comment, where he called Black Lives Matter a call them a terrorist organization. What the hell? I think this is one of those situations where uh, racism is essentially the equivalent to calling somebody the N-word for, for Dana White. And anything shy of that, it's anything goes. Andres, but here's what's interesting. Endeavor was part of a group that bought the UFC for $4 billion uh, four years ago. This is what they tweeted on May 31st. We stand with our black colleagues, clients, partners, and allies today and every day. We see you and you and are committed to taking actionable steps that bring lasting change. And the graphic is Black Lives Matter. Go back to it, guys. Go back to it. Go back to my iPad. Thank you. Black Lives Matter. Black voices matter. Black communities matter. Black culture matters. Clearly, none of that matters if Endeavor has said, and, and Ari Emanuel, the CEO, the brother of Chicago, former Chicago Mayor Ron Emanuel, has said nothing about Covington or Dana White. It's all lip service. Uh, we lost your audio there. Hold on one second. Andres, hold on. We lost your audio. Guys, get it back. Uh, Andres, unmute yourself. Make sure you are unmuted. I'm unmuted. Okay, now go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So what I was saying is, if you, it's all lip service. If you look at anybody can post a graphic, anybody can say Black Lives Matter. This is all lip service. When you're put to the fire and you have to really deal with somebody who is overtly racist, what are you going to do? And WME is doing nothing because it hurts their bottom line because they've invested so much money into the UFC. It's an unfortunate circumstance, but that's just the way it is. And that's what we've been looking at since this whole thing started, back with George Floyd, where everybody posted a Black Lives Matter graphic. It's about action. It's not about logos. It's not about visuals. Do something about it. Um, and, th and the thing is, this, this, this other fighter, um, again, I mean, this guy, I mean, just made uh, some unbelievable... Nasty comments. Uh, AJ Springer, he, he's been he's also been criticized by so many other uh, folks. And here's what's funny. Kobe Covington also said Tyrone Woodley stands with criminals. 
Yet, this is the same guy himself uh, who was arrested for a DUI and then was arrested later for assault. Hmm. Really? It's, it's hypocrisy to the highest order. And I, I think what the UFC and what Dana White would say is, you know, this is, we don't muzzle anybody. Uh, this is just to sell the fight. But what you're doing to sell the fight and what Kobe is doing to sell the fight is blatant and overtly racism. Um, to also, um, you know, first of all, here is, um, some folks have actually shown, here's actually what he said. Go ahead. Go to my iPad. Um, you know, fighting for equal rights and social justice. How are those the same? Because he's standing up for lifelong criminals. You know, the Black Lives Matter is, is a complete sham. It's a joke. They're, they're, they're taking these people that are complete terrorists. You know, they're taking these people that are criminals. You know, these aren't people that are hardworking Americans, blue-collar Americans. These are bad people that are criminals, you know, and they shouldn't be attacking police, you know? If, you, if, if you're breaking the law and you're, you're threatening the cops with weapons, you, you know, you deserve to get what you get. So, you know, that the law enforcement, you know, is, protects us all. You know, if we don't have law enforcement, it'd be the wild, wild west. So, you know, people need to go give a pat on the back to law enforcement every single day and thank them for, for keeping us all safe. Otherwise, you know, all these criminals would be running the streets wild and none of us would be safe. So you're saying that Tyron Woodley supports criminal behavior and encourages it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's he's a communist. You know, he's a Marxist. You know, he stands for, for criminals. You know, he, he, he hates America. And that's why he got broke tonight. Understood. Um, what makes him a communist? I don't understand how you arrived at that conclusion, that he's a communist. Because everything that he stands for, man, he's just, he stands for everything that is against America. He doesn't like America. He doesn't stand up for the rights of America. He doesn't stand up for law enforcement officers. He wants to defund the police. These are the same police that give him private security and him and his family, you know, daily. So, you know, now you want to vilify them and put targets on their back like LeBron James. You know, these guys are heroes, man. These guys are real celebrities. So, you know, we need to give a shout to law enforcement and stop trying to vilify them. Well, and Andreas, and again, uh, the thing for me is, uh, you know, Dana White supports Donald Trump. Kobe supports Donald Trump. I still say the Ari Emanuel and Endeavor, they can't also get away from this. I look at all these different stories and everybody keeps focusing on Dana White. I don't know why these media people forget that Dana White has a boss. Endeavor owns them. And Ari Emanuel and Endeavor has to say something because it's a contradiction, contradiction and, yes, hypocritical for them to talk about black voices, black culture, black lives matter, and they have an overt racist as one of their employees. They are paying him. And also, Disney and ESPN is throwing lots of money towards the UFC uh, direction as well. Yeah, I mean, first things first, what we just heard from Colby Covington is a man who has no idea what communism means, what Marxism means. These are all buzzwords for that man. He has no clue what he's talking about. He's pandering to a base and he's living a gimmick. Now, when we talk about uh, WME and Endeavor, 
you're absolutely right. They should do something. But again, when it comes to money, people don't want to take that extra step. Things are racist until the money is green, and then they want to step back and say, look, you're making me a lot of money. I'm going to let you do what you want to do. But Dana White has stood on this platform for a long time. And listen, the man spoke at the Republican National Convention, condemned the protest, has never said anything about police brutality in America. And when the this is the only sporting organization that didn't release a statement supporting Black Lives Matter. NASCAR did. If NASCAR can't, why can't the UFC? So WME absolutely has to do something about this. Ari Emanuel can't sit on his hands any longer. He has to make a move. Uh, AJ, go ahead. Final comment. Absolutely. I agree with that. This has to go above the UFC, above Dana White. This is about uh, the owners at this point. And if it's, you know, I, I guarantee you this line about not muzzling people, there is a line. Uh, this is not a free for all. You know, we, if, if somebody, if a fighter were talking about the UFC, it'd be a totally different story. If we had somebody maybe talking bad about uh, Jewish folks, this would probably be a different story, and we wouldn't be talking about uh, people not being muzzled. All right, gentlemen, I certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thank you. All right, folks, we're going to end the show. Republican voters against Trump released an ad of Olivia Troy on Lafayette Square about Trump stoking civil unrest. Uh, and the folks, uh, this was dropped by the people that Midas touch. Uh, these are a couple of the anti-Trump ads. I just want to go ahead and just run those. So check this out. I think Donald Trump is a political car wreck. A, a race-baiting, xenophobic, religious bigot. No, I don't think he's a xenophobic, race-baiting, religious bigot. I think he's a kook. I think he's crazy. I think he's unfit for office. What concerns me about the American press is this endless, endless attempt to label the guy as some kind of kook, uh, not fit to be president. If a opening comes in the last year of President Trump's term, we'll wait to the next election. We're on year. the record. Yeah. All right. Hold the tape. We've got the votes to confirm uh, Justice Ginsburg's replacement before the election. You don't agree with what I'm doing? You think I'm in Trump's pocket? I get all of that. My opponent will raise almost $100 million. I'm being killed financially. I'm I getting overwhelmed. This money is because they hate my guts. Midas Touch is responsible for the content of this advertising. I'm Olivia Troy. I was Homeland Security and Counterterrorism Advisor to Vice President Pence and served as Vice President Pence's lead staff member on the COVID-19 response. You know, I've been on the COVID task force from day one. I mean, the virus was very unpredictable at the beginning. There were a lot of unknowns, but towards the middle of February, we knew it wasn't a matter of if COVID would become a big pandemic here in the United States. It was a matter of one. But the president didn't want to hear that because his biggest concern was that we were in election year and how is this going to affect what he considered to be his record of success. It was shocking to see the president saying that the virus was a hoax, saying that everything's okay when we know that it's not. The truth is he doesn't actually care about anyone else but himself. He made a statement once that was very striking. I never forgot it because it pretty much defined who he was. When we were in a task force meeting, the president said, maybe this COVID thing is a good thing. I don't like shaking hands with people. I don't have to shake hands with these disgusting people. Those disgusting people are the same people that he claims to care about. These are the people still going to his rallies today who have complete faith in who he is. If the president had taken this virus seriously or if he had actually made an effort to tell how serious it was, he would have slowed the virus spread. He would have saved lives. It was the opportunity in honor of a lifetime to be able to serve 
in the White House. I put my heart and soul into this role every single day. But at some point, I would come home at night, I would look myself in the mirror and say, are you really making a difference? Does it matter? Because no matter how hard you work and what you do, the president is gonna do something that is detrimental to keeping an American safe, which is why you signed up for this role. It was awful. It was, it was terrifying. I have been a Republican for my entire life. I am a McCain Republican, I am a Bush Republican, and I am voting for Joe Biden because I truly believe we are at a, a time of constitutional crisis. At this point, it's country over party. And uh, it is our responsibility to impact our public policy, impact those people who are out here there to represent us, which means that every single one of us must be engaged in this election. Oh, let me be perfectly clear. There's no perfect candidate. Joe Biden is not perfect. Donald Trump is not perfect. But what you can do is be real honest and look at exactly who is saying what and who is doing what and who has done what. What we also have to understand is what are going to be the impact of those decisions? What will be the impact of the judges chosen by a particular candidate? What will be the impact uh, when it comes to education, when it comes to health, when it comes to housing, when it comes to economics? And not all this other nonsense that are, that are, that are filled with uh, stuff. I'm talking about the real stuff and not the lies. Earlier in this show, if you missed it, uh, go back and check it out, where I deconstructed Donald Trump's insulting platinum plan. What the hell kind of name was that anyway? I broke the whole thing down where he's lied. Donald Trump has lied about what he's done for HBCU funding. Donald Trump has lied about, all oh, the best economic news for black people ever. It's all a lie. Just like it's a lie that he's a billionaire. It's a lie that he's a great businessman. His daddy's money helped him. Now, if you're sitting at home and you're saying, well, you know, I don't like what Joe Biden did 20, 30 years ago. Okay, that's fine. I don't like what Kamala Harris did when she was a DA or attorney general. That's fine. But answer this. How can you say you're supporting police reform when Donald Trump says there should be no police consent decrees? How can you say you support changing communities, when Donald Trump goes to Kenosha, Wisconsin, doesn't meet with community, doesn't meet with the family of Jacob Blake. No, he actually meets with law enforcement. Actions don't lie. And I'm telling you right now, black people, black women, black men, other people out there as well, you do not want to see what four more, giving this man four more years will mean. If you think You've seen crazy in the last three and a half years. You do not want to give this man four more years. And the Republican Party will not stop him at all because all they care about is power. Power. All right, folks, if you want to join our Bring the Funk fan club, you can support us by going to PayPal uh, or uh, Cash App. Cash App uh, is dollar sign RM Unfiltered, paypal.me forward slash Unfiltered, Venmo.com is forward slash RM Unfiltered. Uh, of course, we've had some people who have uh, written us up here. Uh, Claudia Cream, please see my donation in close to support the work that you do. Continue to inform and educate us. We certainly appreciate that, Claudia. Uh, thank you so very much. Uh, voting. I'm personally thankful for you continually pushing regarding the importance of voting, not just for this election, but every election. I'm a U.S. citizen currently residing in Canada and have voted via absentee ballot for several elections. 
Certainly appreciate that. Chris Johnson, uh, uh, Curtis from Ontario, Canada. Thank you so very much. Uh, we got a note here. Hey, Roland, I'm joining the Bring the Funk Fan Club. Here's my $50 money order. I wanted you and your crew to have the whole 50 bucks without any fees. I've been watching you for years, and I hope the Lord prospers you, your family, and your businesses for many years to come. You and your crew keep up the great work. Christina Elliott. Christina, uh, thank you so very much. I got a note here. Uh, folks, don't forget, if y'all there on YouTube, you can get right there on YouTube to support our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, or go to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Thank you and your uh, and your media for all that you do. Special thank you uh, to Dr. Jackie Hood Martin, who's my wife. Thank you very much. Let's see here. I got this card here. Uh, I missed the Tom Jordan show when you came on every week. I uh, enjoy reading your book the first. Hello, Roland. I want to thank you for all you have I have done and continue doing. I continue praying for your unfiltered show. You truly provide the facts we need. God bless you and your staff. Here's a little money for now. Peggy Voss. Peggy, I appreciate that, Peggy. Uh, oops, those letters dropped. Uh, A5A, 1906. Hello, Frat. Hope all is well. Love what you're doing and keep on keeping my brother. May God bless you and your family always. Let's see here. Uh, Cynthia Williams. First, I would like to take the time to thank you for all the truth. Roland Martin Unfiltered reports daily. I look forward to the 6 p.m. every day. Second, I appreciate you reporting facts and information that pertains to our people. God bless you. Finally, you rock. And I will support you as often as I am able. I work in the school and healthcare system. If you get my point, because of your reporting, I have been inspired to open a transitional home for women. My daughter is working on a rescue shelter for animals. She's a feature veterinarian. Again, you rock it. Congratulations on two years of excellent reporting. Cynthia Williams from Detroit. All right, folks, I appreciate all of these letters. I'll read more next week as well. Uh, also, this weekend, folks, we're going to be live streaming the National Council of Negro Women, their conference. I'll be moderating a discussion tomorrow at 2 p.m., so look forward to that. That's why you should go to YouTube. Subscribe to our channel, turn on, turn on your live notifications so when we go live, you will know it. Folks, have a great weekend. I'll see you on Monday. Holla!
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I'm late. I'm late for the important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com as the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 